Mayo Clinic Talks Productions is bringing you episodes from the Grip for Women in Medicine conference. Drs. Anjali Bagra and Susie Mochler sat down with Dr. Julia Files to discuss gender inequity in medicine. Let's listen in. Hi, I'm Dr. Anjali Bagra, an internist specializing in stress management and resiliency. And I'm Dr. Susie Mochler, an anesthesiologist specializing in pain medicine at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And we are joined today by Dr. Julia Files, Associate Professor of Medicine, past chair of the Women's Health Clinic within the General Internal Medicine Division, also the past Associate Chair for Staff Development in the Department of General Internal Medicine at Metro Arizona. Yes. Well, welcome, Dr. Files. Thank you very much. Well, we are so excited to have you here and to have a conversation about your talk at GRIT today in medicine at the conference, but first can you tell us a few interesting facts about yourself? Sure, so I am an internist, but my area of, of focus interest and research is in women's health, and it transcends not just health, but women's issues. So mm -hmm. I have been very involved in my career in mentoring younger women and lifting up women across different specialties who encounter challenges. And that's where I see mm -hmm. my focus leading as I come to the end of my career, which is getting longer and longer because my daughter, <laughs> my daughter just got into medical school, so Congratulations. I'll be working yeah. a lot longer. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> yes. Well, we yes. also hear one of your interests outside of medicine is costume design. Oh, yeah. Can you tell us about that? Oh, sure. So when my kids were in high school, they were in theater, mm. and so I would help with the costuming because it was something I could do at night and I couldn't be there during wow. the day. And then the person in charge of costuming got ill and suddenly I was in charge of costuming and it ended up I have a knack. Who knew? Oh. And we had no budget so we would do a lot of thrift shopping and repurposing and I, I'm a good seamstress from my childhood so I can sew and it became a thing and I loved it and we actually with one of our productions won a huge award for yes. the state for the best costume. So it was really fun. I'm, I'm not doing it now, but... Uh, well, kudos to your creativity and yeah, for you thanks. to lean into it. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> well, it was really a way for me to be with my kids and, and be involved in the school without having to be there during the school day. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. And we heard earlier from you at GRIT today about data around gender inequity. Uh, and we'll dig into that in a little bit. We want to know what does GRIT mean to you? Well, I, I've been thinking about that, and I have to tell you what grit meant to me when I first arrived yesterday was an overwhelming feeling of emotion when I walked into the room. I feel like there is a seismic shift in medicine, and we are at the brink of seeing equity happening for women, and so mm -hmm. I am, I'm very emotional about it. I think that's, that's how I would describe it. I'm thrilled and emotional about being a part of this. Well, we and certainly we. share that sentiment yes. with mm -hmm. you. And thank you for mentoring and sponsoring mm -hmm. and, and what you've done in, in helping others right now at this point because of, because of leaders and role models and mentors like you that were, I think, in this shift. Can you um, touch upon, you talked about the kind of the first shift and then now the second in terms of gender mm -hmm. equity or a push towards it. Sure. Well, you know, women have come a long way since the very first woman physician, Elizabeth Blackwell, who we can never forget. 
And what we first encountered was overt discrimination. We were just overtly discriminated against, told we shouldn't be in the profession, told we shouldn't be doing the jobs that we were doing. And it's taken a very long time, over 100 years. And now we don't experience that type of overt discrimination, but we are still finding that there are areas of second generation bias, mm -hmm. which you could also call covert discrimination. It, things that happen to you that you can't quite put your finger on, but you know it makes you uncomfortable and that it's holding you back from the goals that you have articulated. And we have a lot of work to do because things are now packaged in small packages microaggressions. They're very hard to address. But by using this forum to mm -hmm. give voice to it, to describe it, to help other women understand what's happening, we can start addressing these things. And, and one of those things that specifically you talked about mm -hmm. today and you've, you've published on is how we address speakers mm -hmm. yes. um, by first name or by using the professional title. Yes. And can you tell us about the story uh, when you went to publish the paper? I'm happy to do that. Um, so many of us have experienced things, but we don't take the time to prove that it's happened. And this was one of those crazy instances where everything came together. I was speaking at a meeting, and I was the only female faculty. And at the end of the meeting, the moderator stood up and said, Please join me in thanking our presenters for a wonderful afternoon. I'd like to thank doctors X, Y, Z, and Julia for a wonderful presentation. Mm -hmm. And that was, the, that was the sentinel event that caused us to think about this differently. And so we constructed a study where we studied speaker introductions at Internal Medicine Grand Rounds in Rochester and Arizona on the Mayo campuses. And we chose that because Internal Medicine Grand Rounds is a formal conference that is mm -hmm. given by physicians and is for physicians. And so it should be a place of respect and use of professional title. And what we discovered is that when women do introductions, greater than 95% of the time they use professional titles. It's gender neutral. But when men introduce, they're less formal. About 72% of the time they'll address their male colleagues as doctor because there's an in-group dynamic there where they know each other and it's not as important and it's kind of a club. But when men introduce women, the woman can expect to be called doctor less than 50% of the time, mm -hmm. about 49% of the time. And that is a statistically significant difference. And we were very excited about that finding. And so when we went to publish the paper, we got some pushback on publishing it. We went to a journal that we thought would accept it because it was a Mayo Clinic finding and um, we were rejected. We were rejected at another journal and then the Journal of Women's Health took a risk and published our paper and it became one of the most popular papers that they had ever published yes. because it touched a chord. Women have been experiencing this and it gave voice to it. Now what's most gratifying to me is that there have been two studies since mm -hmm. at least that have reproduced our, our results in other settings, yeah. mm -hmm. at national meetings, and so it is a thing. <laughs> you know, you certainly is. proved that in the, with more than 90% of our audience in the room when you posed that question in a roll call, if it had happened, yes. and we had greater than 90% yeah. of our audience standing. So it, it yes. is a thing, for it sure. It is a thing, and what was so interesting is, you know, our, our, our article published 
online first before it hit the paper uh, version of the journal on a Friday. Mm -hmm. And that Monday, I was contacted by a reporter from the Times of London, oh. and it just spiraled from there. I mean, we, we heard from NPR, we heard from Time Magazine, we heard from the New York Times. And what was really gratifying about the whole thing is the American College of Physicians referenced our paper in a position statement on mm. women in medicine and career and gender equity. And so it was very powerful, That's very powerful. unexpected, mm -hmm. because this study was unfunded. Yes. Everyone was a volunteer. In fact, I made my daughter participate because I needed a worker. Yeah, you know? I, I have to admit, I actually recruited one of our fellows to participate in the study because uh -huh. she did data. So. I, I feel like a part of the study oh, that's indirectly. Right. Yes. yes. So yes. this is incredibly important work. And Thank I love how you used the Sentinel event. Um, mm -hmm. It truly was what triggered and catalyzed your passion into yes. a scholarly project to prove. You also shared data around choices women make within medicine for specialty selection. Mm -hmm. And uh, we loved how you correlated that to, um, I wouldn't say inequity, but pay differences by specialty. Could you speak about that? Sure. I, I was surprised. You know, every time you put a presentation together, you learn things. And, and so it's interesting. Women have historically been, been um, attracted to specialties that are more in primary care. But what was interesting is when you look at the choices that women are making, they tend to be in specialties that don't have the same remuneration. They're the lower level incomes mm -hmm. compared to male colleagues. And men tend to populate specialties that have higher payback. For example, neurosurgery, thoracic surgery, um, orthopedic surgery. Those are historically and consistently, currently, um, predominantly male. Mm -hmm. Recently, there was an article, and I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, that talked about how medicine is becoming a better fit or more accommodating for women. New York Times. New York Times. And within that, it spoke about um, how women choose the specialties that can offer potentially more flexibility. Um, but then, and there was commentary, and this has kind of been in the Twitter sphere mm -hmm. on women disagreeing first of all and saying that no it's women are choosing that or they choose to work part-time or less um, and get paid less but it's about the system and and yeah, how I, can we get women um, in the system and these specialties to to drive yeah. women towards some of those I think it was an interesting article because the way it was presented was that medicine is family friendly and it's friendly for women right. because they can work part-time. It almost was, I think there were, there's a lot of dimensions to how one can look around this, but there was disagreement clearly yes. <laughs> amongst, so, the, yeah, right. amongst the readers and for those of us who are in the profession. So right. I'm interested on your um, kind of thoughts on how do we and how can we continue to encourage women in one to follow their passion, but if surgery or a surgical subspecialty or something is their passion. Um, how can we, you know, address the imbalance? Such a timely question. I just came back from lunch, oh. and uh, I was meeting with a group of women. We're working on a program 
for medical students mm -hmm. to, uh, through the American Medical Women's Association to talk about topics that are not traditionally covered in a, a medical curriculum. And one of the women at lunch suggested that a topic that we address is a career in a traditionally male-dominated specialty. What we need is we need to expose women to other women who are in the specialty. They are the pioneers who have, so to speak, plowed the road. Mm -hmm. And we need to let younger women, students know the good, the bad, and the ugly mm -hmm. about each of these specialties. Because if that is their passion, they should mm -hmm. be able to do it. But many of these traditionally male-dominated specialties are difficult to navigate. They're difficult to gain acceptance into it. They're difficult to get into residency programs. And, um, you know, people like to affiliate with like. Mm -hmm. They like to be with people that they understand. Mm -hmm. And certain surgical fields see someone that looks like them, and that's a choice as opposed to someone that doesn't look like them. Mm -hmm. And this, this transcends gender. It, it's about diversity mm -hmm. and about socioeconomics mm -hmm. and it's so many factors mm -hmm. and it's in-group out-group dynamics mm -hmm. that influence a lot of this so we have a lot of work to do but I think getting our medical students the opportunity to explore these specialties with support might be a first step. I think that's so true and to piggyback on that there is a new mentoring program at the Mayo Clinic Rochester program mm -hmm. to address the diversity and the inclusion needs for students who are seeking role models to make choices and to, to inform themselves. And, yeah. and really, they need role models. They do. They don't make mm -hmm. choices just by facts that we throw on them. They really want to walk that walk, that they see right. people who think like them, look like them. Um, so um, I, I couldn't agree more with you. And especially for women, women need to know yeah. that you can be a surgeon, yeah. you can be a mother. It is doable they have this feeling that they just can't do it. I'm not saying it's easy, mm -hmm. but, but it can happen yeah, it's if that's what you want. Exclusive. It's not It's and not. And you actually had great data on that today in your talk. I mean, your talk was rich of data and it was so juicy and engrossing. How you did that with data was just mm -hmm. fascinating, but you, you shared data around motherhood. I found this very interesting. It was yeah. my favorite statistic because my talk today was about statistics, which mm -hmm. can be dry, but the, um, the fun statistic about women in medicine, dating back to 1922, done with survey research, 80% of women in medicine are mothers. Whether they choose it or it happens, we don't have that data, but they are mothers. And so it is something we have to acknowledge and support. Mm -hmm. Because we also know from recent studies that women still carry the majority of the home burden, which is childcare, homekeeping, elder care, extended family relations, and it leads to a lot of role conflict. Mm -hmm. When I was in the midst of it going through it, I didn't know what I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. And when I started to become interested in the research around this, I found the term role conflict, which really does mm -hmm. describe what we experience as women in medicine. So with, with that, and I love that notion of role conflict and, and the duties we have, um, do you, how do you use that information when you're mentoring women at the different levels of the career? And certainly they may be thinking about motherhood. Oh, sure. Well, 
You know, I, I think one of our failings in medicine is that we don't give education to young women mm -hmm. about reproductive life planning. Mm -hmm. Women have an abstract concept that someday they will choose motherhood, mm -hmm. but they think they have all the time in the world. And a lot of that is, is influenced by Hollywood because women are having children later and later. Mm -hmm. They're not mentioning that they're using egg donation and reproductive technologies because the academic career and the biologic timeline are synchronous and you have a limited time and so I like to just open the topic and ask women have you ever thought about it and if you haven't thought about it why don't we look at your risk tolerance for your last pre or for your last pregnancy like how old do you think you can be mm -hmm. and then I challenge them how many kids do you think you would like to have why don't you think about Thanksgiving at age 45? Mm -hmm. Who's around the table? And then we work backwards and we look at interpregnancy interval and we help them construct a personal plan. And we're doing that now with medical students through the American Medical Women's Association. And I'm very passionate about that because I think everyone should be able to decide and not let biology time them out for motherhood, right? That's incredibly yes. important and kudos to your team for doing that. Thank you. Much needed. You. Yeah. Well, we could go on and on. That's true, and we <laughs> are. We, I know, yeah. we truly are. Well, thank uh, you. What are your top three takeaways for our listeners today? Well, I think the most exciting statistic that I uh, explored today is the fact that for the last two years, the number of female medical students exceeds the number of male medical students. Again, there's a seismic shift. The other takeaway is that numerical parity does not equal gender equity. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of work to do. So we may be having good numbers, but we still have a lot of work to do. And lastly, there is no more noble calling than motherhood, and 80% of us are mothers, and we need to support each other at each phase of motherhood because it has its own challenges. Mm -hmm. And I just want to thank the two of you for doing this. This conference has been life-changing and the speakers oh. have been terrific and I just I just liked the feel of the room. When I first entered the room I, I felt very overwhelmingly emotional. So thank you. I feel it now. Yeah, it's I coming from you that is just <laughs> yeah. we're grateful for your for you and you being here and you're talking with us today. Well, thank you. Thank well, you so much. Thank you so very much for joining us. This has been um, incredibly motivating and it's bi-directional emotionality. Oh. <laughs> well said, well yes. said. Thank you. Well, we've been talking to Dr. Julia Files on the GRID podcast. Thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you.